0: The passage that I want to turn your attention to this Easter Sunday morning is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. And as you're finding Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles, if you'd like to follow along with me, we're celebrating the resurrection this morning. The only thing I want to point you to during the sermon based on this passage is the power represented in the resurrection the power that God demonstrated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ the Ephesian Christians that this letter is written to they were Christians the gospel seed had taken root and was fruitful they were trusting in Jesus and they were loving their fellow Christians and so Paul prayed for them constantly and his prayer for these Christians is my prayer for us This morning, and it's what we're going to read. So we'll start with verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. So if you were Paul and you were writing to this group of Christians and they were showing some fruit of the gospel, They were believing in Jesus already. They were loving their fellow Christians. What would you be praying for them for? What would you be hoping might happen? What would you think that Paul as an apostle would be praying for? Maybe that they would have some ministry expansion and some greater influence in the culture. Or maybe that they would grow numerically and would grow larger as a church. Well, I think all those things would be good and fine, but that's not what Paul prayed for them. Let's read on into verse 17. He says, Remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him. That syntax can be a little hard to follow. But basically what he's praying for for them is increased knowledge of Of God himself he wants them to grow in their knowledge of God we grow in knowledge a lot we are a very teaching oriented church we grow in knowledge of our Bibles we grow in knowledge of doctrine and these things all of that is not an end in of itself it's a means into an end to know God that's why Jesus sent that's why God sent Jesus Christ so that we could know him that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit, so that we could know God. That's why he resurrected Jesus from the grave, so that we could know him. So the best thing that could happen for us this Easter is that we walk away knowing God more deeply. That's what Paul is after in this passage. What does it look like to know God? Let's keep reading in verses 18 and 19. Paul wants him to increase supernaturally, miraculously, in the knowledge of God, verse 18 having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. Now again, I know that's a lot to follow, but I love the imagery he uses for what it looks like when the Holy Spirit enables you to know God. He says, the eyes of your heart are enlightened. Have any of you ever seen those YouTube videos of people who've been colorblind their whole life putting on those those colorblind correcting glasses for the first time? If you haven't seen those, you need to Google that and watch it. Grown men who look like the toughest guys you'd ever meet who've been colorblind their whole life unwrap this gift for their birthday or for Christmas and they're like, what are these? And it looks like, big sunglasses and they put them on and they immediately turn into little children like little babies they just start to weep because they've never seen colors before they would look at this blue sky and these green trees and see it all different shades of sort of muddy brown and for the first time they see color and it's just overwhelming that's what Paul is talking about here now if you've grown up in church and you've known about God and the things of God your whole life, you may have forgotten what it would have been like to not know. Can you imagine seeing color for the first time? Like close your eyes for a second and then open them up again and imagine it's the first time you've seen anything other than like a muddy brown. Spiritually speaking, that's what the Holy Spirit does when He enables someone to know God and the things of God for the first time. It's dramatic it's Holy Spirit wrought. it's more than just natural teaching it's more than just intellectual knowledge it's heart seeing it's like another sense that we didn't know we had in our hearts we are enlightened to be able to see God to see the hope that he has brought about for us through Jesus Christ the inheritance that awaits us and the power of God toward us which is what we're going to dwell on this morning He says it is immeasurably great. God's power toward us is immeasurably great. You can measure electrical power in watts, I guess. I'm not an expert. You can measure physical power and strength and speed. You can measure national power in a nation's resources, their economy, their military. You can measure social power and influence and likes and follows and whatever on social media but God's power is immeasurable it surpasses all imagination it is boundless there is no end to it and what is the highest demonstration of God's power that we have it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that's what Paul is getting at so he wants God wants us to grow in our knowledge of him particularly how powerful he is by remembering the power he demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We read on in the verse 19. The immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Jesus was really killed on the cross. He really died. He had been whipped almost to the point of death beforehand and beaten and tortured and nailed to the cross and then pierced through his side. He had lost a tremendous amount of blood and the Roman professional executioners pronounced him dead, then and there. And they would know. They would know there was no pulse. They would know there was no heartbeat. They would recognize that Jesus was really and truly dead. And then they buried him. And he remained in the tomb, not for a matter of seconds or minutes, but for days. So there's no question about the fact that Jesus absolutely was dead. When his body went missing, the Roman officials couldn't say, well, maybe he never really died and he, he escaped. Everybody knew he was dead. What they said was somebody must have stolen the body. So he was truly, truly dead, and God had the power to bring him back to life. God showed in the resurrection that He has power over anything and everything, including death itself. And where is Jesus now? The passage says that He is seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places. And what does that mean? As we read on into verse 21, He explains, He is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So Jesus now by God's divine power has been raised from the dead and he's now seated in a place of supreme authority and power over all other authorities and powers. He is the ruler over all other rulers. He is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. He's more powerful than the Jewish authorities that put him to death. He's more powerful than the Roman authorities that put him to death. He's more powerful than Satan and demons and all the spiritual authorities at work in this world. He is more powerful than modern-day authorities. He's more powerful than Mark Zuckerberg or Bezos. Or what's the guy that sounds like a Bond villain? Musk, yes, Elon Musk. He's more powerful than Donald Trump. He's more powerful than Joe Biden is more powerful than anyone and anything that exists. Now, all this power has been described as God's power toward us, but we don't really know what he means until we get to the final two verses, verses 22 and 23. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as the resurrected Lord of Lords, God the Father could have set things up differently. He could have set Jesus up as the king of a country, like a physical country on the globe somewhere. And people who were saved could have been granted citizenship and traveled and entered and lived in that physical country. But that's not how God arranged it. God could have made him the king over his own planet. And those who were saved could have been beamed to to planet Jesus and lived under his reign and rule there. He could have given Jesus his own universe. But what he did was put Jesus as head over the church. Now, the church doesn't always seem very strong or powerful. Often the church seems weak, and we as the church feel weak. But when we remember the resurrection, we're reminded that we have the very power of God himself behind us. As part of the church, you are part of the most powerful movement in all reality, not because we're so powerful, but because Jesus, our head, the head of this organization, is the most powerful being ever. And so there's no need for us to ever be wringing our hands or sweating. No pandemic is going to derail the church. No political change or crisis or movement in any country where there are any Christians is going to derail or stop the church. The church is unstoppable because the the head of the church is unstoppable because Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords. And the very power of God is behind us. So when we remember the the resurrection this morning, remember the salvation that Jesus brought for us. He died for our sins on the cross so we could be forgiven and reconciled to God. Remember that he is our Lord, he is alive, and we are to obey him and live by his ways. But remember also God's power demonstrated in the resurrection. That Jesus is now superior to every other individual and that he is the head of the church. Remembering the resurrection should give us a strong backbone, should give us zeal, Should give us confidence, a peaceful stability when everybody else panics. Because we're following Jesus Christ, the resurrected Savior and Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection and thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would let us leave here with a sense of your power. And that the resurrection would not be mythology for us or sentimental, that it would be real historical fact that would give us strength in our real day-to-day life as Christians. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.